2020 has been a year for us all, right? I mean, it's just one thing after the next, one trial after another trial. I mean, everybody's thinking it. What's next? I mean, some people are thinking aliens are next, and I wouldn't be surprised. It's crazy what has been happening, and everyone's asking, can it get any worse than it is right now? And here's my fear when people start saying that. Because the truth is, 2020 has been really hard. 2020 has been super difficult, and with that brings a reality that we must talk about, and we must anticipate and respond to accordingly. And this is the reality, that when difficult circumstances come in our lives, those circumstances will bring with them choices, and those choices look a lot more appealing to us because of that difficult circumstance. Thoughts will pop into our heads on ways of responding. And if we're in neutral territory, we would be able to distinguish what's good, what's not good, what's fair, what's not fair, what's just, what's not just. But because of the hardship, because of the trial, those choices look a lot more appealing to us. Just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, they can. Because the truth here tonight is that trials bring with it temptations. Difficult circumstances bring with it difficult choices, and we need to understand that today. Let me explain. Maybe for right now, in this season, it's just really hard on you. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on you to figure it out. Maybe you're a parent, and you're trying to figure out how to survive this economic crisis. Or maybe you're in your 20s and you're trying to figure out your life and it's been really hard on you and there's a lot of pressure on you to figure it out. And because of the trial, it's not making anything easier. And the temptation might be for you to go and find relief in a bottle or to go cope with that pain with a substance. Maybe the trial for you is your wedding got canceled and you were looking forward to that day and you were so excited But then what happened? The wedding got canceled, and that's a trial. And the temptation might be, hey, we're going to get married anyway. Like, we were supposed to be married. Let's just do it. Come on. Hey, what is marriage anyway? Marriage, what? that's stupid. Let's just do it. And that might be your temptation. Maybe loneliness for you is unbearable right now. And it's been super hard. And so your temptation might be to find comfort and somebody else, either on a screen or in person. Maybe for you, depression has been too much. And it's been a season far too long. And your temptation might be to actually start believing the lies that you're unlovable, that you're not worthy, that no one cares about you, that you're not enough. And you could believe the lie, the worst lie of them all, that your life doesn't have purpose and meaning. Anthony. Why are you so downcast on your soul? Why are you so hard? And I'm not trying to bring shame. I'm not trying to bring guilt. Because the truth is 2020 has been hard. And trials are coming and they have come. And we just can't wish them away. Or we can't just think that they're just going to disappear. We have to deal with the reality of the trials that come. And the reality is they will also bring temptations. And those temptations can make the trial a lot worse for you. And we need to respond to that accordingly because the truth is if you're taking notes difficult circumstances bring destructive choices and this is what James chapter 1 
is all about. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, I'm so glad that you are here. I don't know how you got here. I don't know if someone just said, hey, you get in the car, we're going to church today, and now you're here and you don't know why. But maybe you have some preconceived notions of who God is. Maybe you have some ideas. But I actually want you to meet somebody. Because I think you're going to learn a lot from this talk. But I think you're going to find this really interesting. Because the person that we're going to read about today named James, the author of the passage, he's actually got an interesting story. And if you didn't know this, James is actually Jesus' brother. Yeah, I didn't know it either until I found that out. Now you can use that as a party trick. You could be a real hit at parties now. You could do that. But James is Jesus' brother. And the thing about James is, is that early on in Jesus' ministry, we see that he was a skeptic towards Jesus. While Jesus was healing the blind, casting out demons, doing all this crazy stuff, we see James say, whoa, 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 I don't know what my brother's doing. I don't know what he's doing. I don't want any part in this. And then something happened in James's life. Something happened that became a 180 switch. Because we read in that what we call now the book of James, he starts it off the letter that he's writing to a bunch of Christians at the time. He's writing off, he says, I'm James, a servant of God. He was once a skeptic and became a servant. What happened? Well, this is what happened. He saw his brother, Jesus, die and rise back from the grave. And that historical event changed his life and that historical event that person named Jesus can change your life and I'm just going to tell you up front if you're not a follower of Jesus I want the biggest message you hear today is that Jesus changes everything just like we sung before I want you to hear that Jesus changes everything it changed that person's life this is what we have in our history books you can't deny that and just like it changed James's life Jesus can change your life if you want him to just like he became a skeptic turned servant because he had a fish sandwich with Jesus, he can change your life from a life without purpose to with purpose if you want it to. And so that is James, a guy who is radically transformed by the gospel, by the good news. And he starts off his letter that we, like I said, we call the book of James. He starts his letter that he's writing to a bunch of Christians. He says, hey, when you face trials... Difficult circumstances, circumstances and challenges that will bring you to your knees, that will question what you believe and question your faith. When you face those trials, he says, consider it pure joy. And not just consider it pure joy. He says, when you face many trials, various amounts of trials, when there's one trial after another, consider it pure joy. And that's 2020. 2020 has been one episode after another episode. The first episode was the pandemic with the coronavirus and the economic crisis. Then the next episode was the murder hornets. And that was like a filler episode. And I don't really know what was going on in that episode. But then we had the racial divide in America. And then we had a personal episode, which is losing a loved one in this church. And we are all going through those trials. And James is saying 2,000 years ago to us today in 2020, hey, when you go through 2020, consider it pure joy. Rejoice. Be glad. Now, is James nuts? No. 
James knows something. He knows with God that there's potential in our pain. That when we allow God in our lives, he makes us better people because of those trials. He gives us perspective and he gives us perseverance. That's what James goes on to write about in the first 12 verses. And I really wanted to preach on that topic. But I think Doug has done such an amazing job in this season leading us on how to deal with pain and how to deal with trials. And if you want to have a deeper study, go into James chapter 1. But I wanted to talk about the reality of what the trials bring. And they bring temptation. And that's where James talks about from verses 13 to 18, the passage we're going to look, about, look at today. So this is the reality that we have to deal with and how do we respond to this reality. Well, um, I have a younger brother, and on his 18th birthday, um, I decided to throw him a really huge surprise party. And man, I planned this thing for months, like for months, and I did everything I could to make sure that he had the most special day ever. I was going to plan this whole scavenger hunt, do all these crazy things. I even made him an 18-song mixtape because I wanted to show him how much I loved him and how much I cared about him. And I was planning this whole thing out, and I made a document on my laptop called Daniel's Surprise Birthday Outline in all caps. Now, if you're ever going to plan a surprise birthday party for somebody, a little tip for you. Never, ever, ever when you're making the document that has all the precious information on it, label it surprise birthday outline. Because what my brother did is when he was on my computer, he saw that file. He took that file, put it into his computer, and he knew everything that was going to happen. He knew all the details, the times, the locations. He had it all figured out, and he knew what was coming. And so when that day came... Instead of pretending like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. I didn't know. Instead of going that route, my brother decided to make sure I had the most miserable time ever. And he did some crazy stuff. He took apart my engine in my car so I couldn't use my car. He did thing after thing and he drove me nuts and he drove me insane. It's true. There's a video. I punched him. It's real. I, I pray for me. The, this is what it's like being the cry household. Why am I telling you that story? It's because I want us to have victory tonight. And if we can read temptation's outline, and if we know what's coming before it comes, we'll be able to have victory. We'll be able to succeed this trial and be able to, fret, to, to face the pressures of this trials. And that's what James talks about. James lays out the outline for us so that we can survive temptation. And in verse 13, he starts off by saying, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why, James? Why do you say that? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts nobody. It's inconsistent with God's nature to tempt and to tempt you with evil. Think about it. Sin is a conscious step away towards the will of God. God is not interested for you to take any steps away from his will. It's not in his nature. He doesn't want you to do that. And I hear it all the time when I talk about sin, when I talk about temptation with people, I often hear them say, well, God wouldn't give me this, these desires if he didn't want me to act on them. Now be careful. Be careful just slapping the deity 
on every one of your desires. Not everything we feel is right. Not everything we feel is good. We have to evaluate that because a lot of that stuff doesn't come from God. If it's displeasing to his heart, he doesn't want that for you. And so James says, hey, this thing is not coming from God. So where does it come from? He continues. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. I love it how James doesn't say this temptation comes from the devil. And just to let you know, over the next two weeks, Doug will go over the temptations that we face from an external spot. But guess what James is saying? James is saying that temptation comes from you. That temptation that you face comes from within you. He doesn't want to point out an external tempter, but an internal traitor. Because the truth is, we have a little voice inside all of us that's making crazy demands. He's a little internal traitor, and he wants to see you fall. And that's true about all of us. And we need to know how to respond to that. Because temptation doesn't attack from the outside. It rises from within. So you losing your job and getting blackout drunk, that choice was from, came from within you. You break up with your boyfriend and girlfriend or they break up with you. You coping with pornography or with somebody else, that decision came from with you. Your spouse isn't meeting your needs and you cheat on him or her. That desire, that choice came from within you. Look, trials are going to come to us ready or not, but that choice comes from within you and it's your own dysfunctional thoughts. Bolstered by emotion leads to destruction. So how does this temptation work then from within? He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. I love those two words, lured and enticed. Lured is to get the mind's attention. And enticed is to stir the heart's affection. And I love those two words because he's using fishing imagery here. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. Um, I've only gone fishing twice, and I got a lure up here with me. And I really don't know how to use this thing. Don't tell my future father-in-law that. Man, that's so weird to say. Um, but yeah, I get the basic concept of fishing. I do. You throw this down to the water. You make it look all juicy and delicious for the fish to grab onto it. And your goal is exactly that, so the fish can grab onto it, and so you can have your fish sandwich. Now, what is James portraying he's portraying look we're all fish and we all got these lures inside of us that are trying to get our minds attention and stir our hearts affection and because the truth is tonight we all struggle with that we all got different lures inside all of us nobody in here is perfect and some of you might be thinking man I showed up at church today and look at all these perfect Christians that got their life together that's not true we all got lures we got, all got broken thoughts with inside of us. We're all broken. We are all a mess, including myself. We all are. And the worst thing about this is that this lure is tailor-made for you. That's why James says, by his own desires. It's tailor-made for you. It knows how to trip you up. It knows what's to get your mind's attention and to stir your heart's affection. It knows how to get that. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it when Christians can be so judgmental and be like, oh, you struggle with that lure? 
Oh, you struggle with pornography or cheating on your wife? Oh my gosh, what the heck is wrong with you? Do you even consider yourself a real Christian? You disgust me. You struggle with this lure every single time. You fall for it. That pride, self-righteous, thinking you're better than everybody else, holier-than-thou attitude. You fall for that every single time. Because the truth is we all got lures. We all got things inside of us that want us to see us destroyed. And I hate when Christians can be so judgmental. And I've seen it too often in the church. And so, what's that lure for you? What's that thing you keep going to again and again when you feel lonely, when you feel entitled, when you feel depressed? What is that thing you keep going to that you think is life enhancing, but really it's just taking away from you? What is that lure? Because the best self-knowledge you can have is knowing what that lure is, knowing what gets your mind's attention and stirs your heart's affection. So I want to start with this. What do you think about? I want to start there, and that's where James starts. Because what you think about you'll care about. What you care about, you'll chase. You'll chase. So I want you to think about what you are thinking about. Because a lot of us, we just accept these thoughts. We wake up one day and we just accept these thoughts that come into our minds as truth. And we need to be really careful because not everything we think is true. Not everything. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians, hey, Take these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And he also tells Timothy to watch your doctrine and watch your life. Know yourself. Know what gets you tripped up for the sake of others. Because what we ponder on, we'll love. And what we'll love, we'll pursue. And what we pursue, we'll become. Do you see it? Do you see it? So if you know this pull is coming... If you get on that boat and you're heading down the stream and you just know it's coming and it, you feel like you can't do anything about it, you know that temptation coming, the emotions rise up, those thoughts keep popping into your head. What do you do so that you don't go downstream? James will say, hey, look downstream and see the conclusion. Where does that temptation end up? Because the truth is temptation's goal is to get you fixed on the temporary. It's going to put that thing in front of your face and say, hey, the only way to cope with this pain is to do this, say this, act like this. Look at that. That's what its goal is, to get you fixed on the temporary. So temptation's goal is to get you to move around. And what you should do is you should move around and look at the end goal. Where is this temptation ending up? And he does this with such unique imagery. He actually does this with sexual imagery. Now, if I can nerd out a little bit, James is writing in the Greek, and he's got masculine and feminine words, kind of like Spanish. And what he does is he takes the word desire in verse 15, and he portrays it in the feminine. And what he's portraying is actually in Proverbs 7, where he's depicting the adulterous woman who's trying to lure you and seduce you to get you to sleep with her. And this is what he says in verse 15, then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. It gives birth to sin. See, the truth is everyone will be tempted. That's not going to stop. You'll be tempted. But it's your choice if you want to jump in bed with that desire. Because when your will and desire come together, you'll have a baby. And that baby's called sin. 
And some of you are like, yeah, I don't really care about sin though. Like I get why you Christians care about sin, but I don't really care about sin. And some of you are are Christians and you're like, I don't think sin really matters because Jesus paid for my sins. I'm good. I'm, what doesn't matter. I thought he loves me. I thought I could do whatever I want. Well, the truth is, James keeps going on. And he says that sin is also in the feminine. And he says that sin, when it's fully grown up, sin's going to have a baby. And that baby brings forth death. Why is this imagery so harsh? Well, think about it. As a parent, What's the most life-giving moment in your life? The birth of your child, right? I mean, I've never experienced that yet, but I, that's what people tell me. That's one of the most happiest moments of that person's life when that baby comes into the world. And what James is trying to get you to do, he's trying to picture that moment, that supposed to be beautiful day, and he's picturing that moment with your family there on that day, in that room, everyone's so excited, and the baby pops out, and it's death the opposite of life. James is trying to shock you. James is trying to wake you up to the reality of sin, that sin leads to death. Anthony, how do you know this? But one, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my relationship with Gabby. I've seen it in my relationships with my friends, in my mental health, that sin leads to death. And I've grown up in churches and in ministries where I hear story after story of people having a rough go at it, but then falling into temptation, doing things that they know is wrong, knowing they shouldn't be doing it. And they play the church game, man. They hide their sin. They don't really talk about what's going on. And I've just seen story after story of their lives being destroyed because that's what the reality is, that sin, if you like it or not, brings death in your life. It starts with a trial. It escalates with temptation, but it always ends in turmoil. And so if we know where the stream ends, good question is where does it begin? And James in verse 16 says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived. See, the end of temptation is destruction, but the beginning is deception. There's something in our thought processes that is tricking us. To believe that something is life enhancing that it really isn't. It's deception. It's playing a game with us. It's tricking us. And I love that terminology, my beloved brothers. Because he's not saying like, hey, stop falling for it. Stop getting tricked. Come on, bro, wake up. No. He's saying, listen, I get it. I've been tricked too. I've fallen short. I was a skeptic. I get it. I've fallen for it too. And so, James, how do we not get tricked? Well, he tells us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I've grown up in church, and I've heard that verse so many times. And to be honest, I've never really understood what it meant. But I love what uh, Pastor Ben Stewart from Passion City, D.C. says. He says, the lie that launches a million different sins is believing that God's not a good dad. The lie that you can keep believing that's tricking you is believing that God's not got your back and that he's not a good father and that he doesn't care about you. 
See, the problem with our activity starts with our theology. I don't think God's going to take care of me, so I got to take care of me. And we've believed that lie for so long, and that lie has led us down a lot of broken roads. We've done a lot of things that we regret because we don't believe that God's a good dad. We truly don't believe that God's a good dad. We might believe it up in here, but we truly don't believe it in our hearts. That's the deception right there. And it's been tricking us from the start of humanity. You guys know the story in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. Satan goes up to Eve. And I love how Satan plays the game. He doesn't start with the activity. He doesn't say, hey, you see that fruit? Go grab that fruit. I know you want to. It look good, right? Hey, Adam, come over here. Eat that fruit. It looks good, right? He doesn't start with the activity. What Satan does is, hey, did God really say you can't eat that fruit? He starts with the theology. He wants to talk church. And he just continues to throw darts of doubt at Eve. And he say, Eve, your allegiance to God is costing you something, Eve. Hey, there's something that could be really life-enhancing to you, Eve, but he's not letting you do it, Eve. You're missing out on key experiences. Do you want to really experience life? You need to walk away from the author of life because God's robbing you with something. He's robbing you to enjoy life from key experiences because guess what, Eve? He's not good, and he doesn't care about you. And that lie, we've been believing ever since. Man, if I trust God with my sexuality, he's going to rob me. He's going to cheat me out. Man, I don't, I don't trust God with my finances. So I got to do me. I got to provide for my family. I got to cheat. I got to get ahead. Because God doesn't really care about me. God won't provide for me. That lie has been tricking us. In the pursuit of life, we walked away from the author of life because we don't believe God's a good dad. I've seen it so often that a poor view of our earthly father messes with our relationship with our heavenly father. We often attribute characteristics of our earthly father to our heavenly father. Maybe if you had a dad that never really measured up, that you couldn't ever measure up, that he always wanted you to do better. He didn't really tell you how much he loved you. That's going to mess with your theology, man. Let's just be honest. Let's just be real tonight. I'm not playing any games. And so you might have a difficult time truly believing that God is a God of grace, that God is a God of mercy and of second and third chances. You can fail a thousand times, but his grace is there. He still loves you. He just wants to be with you. Maybe you've had a father that was never really there for you. Or maybe he was around in your life, but he really didn't care about you. He was there. He got the good grade on the attendance, but the effort he failed at. So you have a really hard time believing in a sovereign God. That he's in control, that he does care because he's a good shepherd. You have a hard time believing in his sovereignty and that he's a shepherd. What James is trying to get us to realize in this reality that God's a father who loves us. God's not a God that doesn't count how many steps we, of, um, he counts how many steps we take. He doesn't count how many times we fall. Look, I'm really looking forward to being a father. Like I'm really excited. And that's not why I got engaged. And I know some of you thought that. Get your heads out of the gutter. That's not why I got engaged, people. Come on. But I really can't wait to be a dad. Because I know the second 
my child comes out, I'm going to love that thing instantly. Like it, it didn't do anything to deserve my love, but I'm going to fall in love with that thing. It didn't do anything, man, to earn it, but I'm going to love it. Actually, it's going to probably be in the negative because it's going to make Gabby really moody for nine months and really annoying, and it's gonna, she's going to give me an attitude, and she, that baby's going to be in the negative. But I know the second that baby pops up, man, I'm going to fall in love with and I And parents in the room, you know that to be true, right? And that love that you have for your child, God loves you a billion times more. He does. It's interesting, man. Patrick Carnes, a leading voice of addiction, he talks about often why people go to things that they know is destructive for them. And you know what he says? He says the root of addiction for people is believing that they're unloved and unlovable. That the addiction is an intimacy disorder. That you feel like you're not good enough. That you feel like you can never measure up, that nobody cares about you. So what do you do? You sink into that addiction of trying to find life and trying to find hope. And that's why James says, hey, don't be deceived. Don't get it twisted. We got a God up in heaven who's a father that loves to give gifts. He says give twice because he's trying to get you to realize that God is a giver and he's there for you. He is present with you. That he's not in the shadows trying to hide, trying to play these games. Here one minute, not there the next. He cares and he is present. How do we know this? How do we know that he loves us? James goes on to say, of his own will, he brought us forth in the word of truth. And I love, he says, of his own will. Because what he's saying is, he wanted to save you. He wanted to get on that cross. He wanted to die to death. Because he wants to be with you. He wants to be your father. And I love how Paul says it by his own kind intentions of his will because he wanted to save you. And when we truly understand that we have the pleasure of God as our father on our side, it be able, we'll be able to then face the pressures of the trial, to be able to face the temptations that bring that come with the trials. And the bottom line that I'm trying to get you to realize is that when we fight temptation, we should know the father's love for us. We fight temptation knowing the Father's love for us. And we could talk about strategies on how to fight sin and different things that we can do. And that's important. And some of you, if I'm honest, you're there right now. Because you keep walking into the battlefield with just your underwear thinking you're going to take down the next army. But here's the truth. You need some tools to fight temptation. But like I said before, temptation is tailor-made for you. So you need tools and you could get those tools by talking to one of us, either me, Doug, Joe Levante, whoever, so we can help you succeed. And that's important for you. And some of you are there. But I also think a lot of us honestly truly don't believe that God's a good dad and that he cares about us. We need to dwell on that truth today. And as I close, and I'm sorry if I'm being a little going over but I think if you're not a follower of Jesus you need truth here tonight and what James says he says he brought us forth by the word of truth 
and you've been looking for truth in so many different places and so many different ideologies and world philosophies and different things to bring you truth and bring you purpose and bring you meaning and you've fallen short and you've been looking and maybe that's why you're here today because you're like maybe God has something for me and I'll give you the honest answer he does and it's himself because Jesus said in himself he's the way and the truth and the life And the thing you've been searching for is the relationship with Jesus. And you might be thinking, man, I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. How can Jesus love me? I get that Jesus loves his children, the people that go to church, but he can't love me. When Jesus, when he's talking about the Father and the Father's love that he has, he tells a story in Luke 15. He talks about how one of the kids, one of the sons in the story takes all the money and takes all the inheritance of the dad and what the kid does he chases worldly pleasures he chases everything under the sun all the parties all the women he had it all and he fell rock bottom and at rock bottom he realized man I need to go back to my dad and he was worried because he was worried he was like man my dad's gonna burden me with religion he's gonna make me earn my way back to being part of the family he's gonna burden me with all this stuff and I don't want to go back to him but he decides to go back and what does the father do the father doesn't burden him with religion he doesn't burden him with rules he throws a party and I believe this with all my heart that whoever you are no matter if you believed in God once and then walked away or you've never believed in God you've been a skeptic from the start I believe this that Jesus was going to throw a party for you in heaven if you come home if you come into his family and the best part is it's free that because when Jesus historically came to down on the earth, he died a death that we deserve and rose back from the grave. And because of that, it's free. That our debt is paid and we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's a lot of you that are there right now that are kind of half in, half out. Can I really trust this God thing? And you know that God loves you. But I just want to say God wants good things for you. He wants them for you. He's not going to promise you something and then not deliver. He's not going to offer you life and hold it back from you. So trust him today. And there's many of you that think you know the truth. And that you're living out this selfish, righteous attitude and the self-righteous living. But yet you're still cold to the things of God. We see Nicodemus was just like that. In John 3, this dude had much of the Bible memorized. He knew it all. He could quote the law to you left and right, yet he was still cold to the things of God. But when he saw Jesus walk on earth, he knew something was missing. He got the religion part down, but he didn't have the relationship part down at all. And some of you have been living out your religion for far too long. And you don't really know the Father's love. Because when you make the tree good, the fruit's good. And Jesus wants to do that in you. And I guess that's everyone on the spectrum. A lot of different stories here tonight. But I think it's the same solution. That we truly need to understand that we have a Father who is patient, who is kind, isn't disgusted by your sin and the choices that you've made, but will pursue you, will chase after you, is calling you home to be part of the family. From skeptic to serving, we need a greater understanding of the Father's love for us. If we're going to survive 2020, 
We need to understand that God is a good father that cares about us. Let's pray. So Jesus, thank you, God, that you're a good father, that your love for us will chase us down, will pursue us, will come after us if we are lost sheep or wandering away, that there's nothing that you won't do to come after your children. Your love for us is incredible. And so for the servant in the room tonight, let the Spirit speak to you on ways that you just keep falling into sin. Those lures in your life, just be honest with Him. And for the skeptic in here tonight that wants to be part of a family, that wants to have God as their Heavenly Father, like I said, it's a free gift. And you just need to have a conversation with him. And you can pray something like this to begin that conversation. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you now have access to the Father. And you could say something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross, rising back from the dead. For my sin, for my junk. Thank you for your grace. And you're not disgusted with my sin. Thank you, God, for your mercy that's new. I receive you as my Savior. I want a relationship with you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.